Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, Ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I hope that all of us are thankful that God watched over us in the past night, that he has enabled us to come to church this morning in order to worship him. Today, as you know, is the 12th Sunday after Trinity, and the texts that I just read uh, are the words that Jesus spoke one day in the temple in Jerusalem. It was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was about in October, the October before Jesus was crucified the following April. And we are told that when he was in the temple of Jerusalem at this time, and he had preached and he had taught that many Jews believed in him. And then he turned to those Jews who believed in him, and he said this to them. He said, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said, If you will continue in my word, if you will continue to believe in me and to trust in me as your Savior, he says, Then you will be my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and you will be free. You will be free from the eternal bondage of sin. If you continue to believe in me, at death there will be no eternal bondage awaiting you. There will be no hell. There will be no eternal damnation. There will be no eternal separation of your soul and body from God if you continue to believe in me. And then they didn't quite understand and they turned to him and they said, but they said, we are sons of Abraham. We are descendants of his. And we feel that being descendants of Abraham means that there is no eternal bondage awaiting us at death, no hell, no eternal torment for our sins. And then Jesus told them, no, that isn't true. He said, you know this, that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and no slave abides in the house forever, but only the Son. And then Jesus said, but if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And we said to ourselves, what was he saying to those Jews that believed in him that day as he spoke to them in the temple? He was saying this. He was saying, I plead with you, those of you who believe in me, will you continue to hold my word? Will you continue to put your faith and trust in me? Will you continue to be loyal to me? And if you will, Jesus says, I promise you and I assure you that I will absolutely free you from the eternal bondage of sin. I guarantee it. That if you remain faithful to me and if you continue in my word, I will absolutely assure you beyond the shadow of a doubt that when death comes there will be no eternal bondage awaiting you, no hell, no eternal damnation, no eternal torment for your sins. And when Jesus today, 2,000 years later, speaks to you and me as Christians, as his followers, these words that he spoke in the temple at Jerusalem, 
He says to you and me as Christians and as followers, will you please continue in my word? Will you do this? Will you continue steadfast and to believe and to hold fast to me? Jesus said, if you will do so, I promise you, I guarantee you that I will indeed free you beyond the shadow of a doubt, positively and absolutely. I will free you from the eternal damnation of your soul. There will be no hell there will be no eternal punishment awaiting you. This is what he is saying to you and me this morning, and we may say to ourselves, that's a wonderful promise to be sure, and we may say it's almost too good to be true, but this may bother you and me and may rather plague us. We may say, I'd like to believe that promise and that good news, that if I continue to hold fast to Christ, that when death comes, that there will be no eternal bondage awaiting me. There will be no hell, no eternal punishment for my sins, no eternal torment. I would like to believe that Christ guarantees that he will free me and liberate me from this eternal bondage. We may say, but is he big enough? Can he do it? Is Christ really big enough to fulfill that kind of a promise? We may look at him as he stood in the temple at Jerusalem. We may say, he doesn't look that big. How about it? But when Jesus calls to you and me as his followers, says, continue in my word, won't you please? Won't you hold fast to me? Won't you continue to hold on to me as your Savior? And he said, if you'll do so, I guarantee you that I will indeed liberate you and free you from the eternal bondage of hell, the eternal bondage of damnation. And all because Jesus would assure you and me, he would say, I'm big enough, don't you worry about that. I'm big enough to fulfill that promise. You and I may say, is he... And on the basis of the word of God, Jesus in the first place would assure you and me, and he does in his word, that he was without sin. He was sinless. He was never under this eternal bondage of sin because of any wrongdoing in his own life. We may say, I'd like to believe that promise. Oh, what good news that would be, that if I hold on to Christ, that when death comes to me, that there will be no eternal bondage awaiting me. But after all, how can he promise that? Wasn't he under the bondage of sin? Wasn't he a human being? And after all, if he was, wasn't he a sinner? Didn't he do wrong? Isn't he under the same bondage that I'm under? But in the word, Jesus says, if you'll continue in my word, he assures you and me that he was without sin. You know, he was the one that dared to stand before his worst enemies one day, and he said, all right, come on, let any one of you convict me of sin. Let any one of you prove that I'm a sinner. He stood before them as sinless. No one to this day, 2,000 years later, has ever been able to approve or to, again, say that in his life there was ever a wicked thought, there was ever an evil deed, there was ever an evil word. He stands before the world today as the sinless one, and in his word he also assures us that he was no less than sinless because he was born of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit placed the seed of life in Mary the Virgin, and he was born, therefore conceived by the Holy Ghost. And in that virgin birth, which he assures us of in his word, Jesus says, yes, I am big enough. I was not born as you under original sin. I was not under the eternal bondage of sin. I was born without sin. And therefore, he says, I'm big enough. Don't you ever worry about that. I guarantee you that if you hold fast to me, that when death comes, I will free you forever from the eternal bondage of hell. I'm big enough because being without sin, he would remind you of me. He would say, I am God. I am God himself, God the Son. 
He said, for if the Son shall make you free, I'm God the Son. He didn't shrink from, again, referring to his deity. He knew that he was no less than God. Because he was God, the second person of the Trinity, therefore all power is his. He said, don't you ever worry. When you continue in my word, you continue to be steadfast in me. When death comes, I will liberate you and I will free you. I guarantee it from the eternal punishment of your sin. I am God. Who's going to stop me? Not Satan, not hell, not the fallen angels. Jesus assures you and me as the sinless one, he is no less than God. And therefore today we ought to say to ourselves as he speaks to us from the temple in Jerusalem and he said, but if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We may say, I can trust that promise. and We may determine to say, I'm going to continue steadfast. I'm going to remain faithful to him. And then we will determine this, that we're going to stop and realize what it means to lose him and to let loose of him. Does it mean much if we let loose of Jesus Christ? Does it mean much whether we have him or whether we don't have him? Here were the Jews who believed in him. And I think with honest hearts they said to him, Well, we've always been under the oppression because we were Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendants, that we were sons of his, that again, we were freed from bondage just because we were born from him. And Jesus reminds them, Oh no, you see, you and I may sometimes say, I don't need Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had a godly mother and a godly father. And I come from a long line of good Christian people. And therefore, surely there is no condemnation awaiting me. Jesus says, Oh no, anyone that sins, he says, is a slave of sin. And the slave doesn't abide in the house forever. The slave is cast out. And therefore, let's know this and let's face it. If you and I let loose of Jesus Christ, then there is only one eternity awaiting us, and that is an eternity of an eternal bondage, separation from God. Without Jesus Christ, we are lost. We may say to ourselves, is there a hell? Jesus spoke about hell as a reality. He spoke to Satan face to face. And remember one day he said in speaking about being lost, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus said to lose your soul, there is nothing to compensate for it. You might even have the world, but that means nothing. It would be better that you had never been born. And though if we stop and say to ourselves, I let loose of him, that means that again at death there is going to be an eternal bondage, soul and body separated from the love and mercy of God, a perpetual abandonment of God of me. Then we ought to carry this one dread and this one fear in our lives every day, the fear of losing Jesus Christ. That ought to fill you and me every moment of our lives. One thing, oh God, deliver me from, that I may ever turn my back on Jesus Christ because to do it, it means again, it means that at death, there will be an eternal torment awaiting you and me, for without him there is no hope. Jesus says to you and me, will you continue in my word? Will you continue to hold fast to me? And if you will, if you will do so, Jesus, I guarantee you that at death I will liberate you from the eternal bondage of sin. There will be no eternal hell. There will be no eternal death. No eternal torment awaiting you because of your sins. You and I may say, well, that's good news and that's a wonderful thing. But oh, can I put my trust in him? Uh, he guarantees it, but is he big enough to produce it and to fulfill such a promise? Can I put all my eggs in one basket and, and just trust him? And Jesus assures you and me, he says, don't you worry, I'm big enough. I'm big enough to fulfill it because in the second place in the word he assures you and me that again he bore the eternal bondage of our sins in our stead for us. 
We may say to ourselves, this may bother us, how can he liberate me from eternal damnation and hell when he knows that I'm a sinner, when he knows that I'm guilty, and when God is a just God and God's got to condemn sin because if he didn't, he wouldn't be a just God. And we may say, therefore, he can't exonerate me. He can't liberate me. I've got to bear my own guilt because I'm a sinner. But Jesus says, wait a minute. I was not under this bondage of sin, but I will have you know that I came out of the ivory palaces and I came into this world as your Savior. I asked my Heavenly Father to lay on me your eternal bondage, to lay on me what you would suffer in an eternity in hell separated body and soul from the love and mercy of God and he would tell you and me and my father laid it on me even as Isaiah said surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and Jesus said then I went to the cross and on the cross I had on my soul the eternal bondage of the entire human race from Adam to the last child should be born Jesus would say to you, if there will have been 1,000 trillion human beings on the face of the earth, he would say, I took that eternal bondage, and I, in my body, I bore the equal of an eternity in hell for the entire human race. And you and I stand there aghast. That's what he meant when he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why should he should be forsaken? Because he became our substitute, and he was God, and he could do it. And Jesus says, on the cross, I met the justice of God. I fulfilled it. I paid the bill in full. And therefore, Jesus says, don't you worry. I'm big enough to come through on that promise. I guarantee it to you if you remain faithful. Because Jesus would say, I've got that kind of a thing to give you. I've got that freedom to give you, that liberation. I bought and I paid for it. And Jesus would remind you and me that having bought and paid it for us, that we can't afford to put our faith and our trust and continue in his word, he will absolutely not welch on that promise. He will come through. We may say, but after all, wonder if God the Father won't have something to say about that. Could it be that if Jesus says, I liberate you from the eternal punishment of your sin, that at the day of your death and mine, that God will say, but wait a minute, I don't. May I say the answer there is this, God can't say that. God's got to liberate you and me. Jesus paid the bill in full. You don't pay a bill twice. You don't pay it twice, friend. He paid it in full. God would cease to be just if he refused to allow his son to liberate you and me from eternal death and damnation because his son paid the bill in full. God must liberate you and me even as the son. And therefore, having that glorious truth, we ought to say this this morning. Say, well, then I'm going to continue in his word. I'm going to remain faithful. And if that shall be the decision in your life and mine this morning, we're going to say to ourselves this. Therefore, I am determined that this good news, this good news that is the greatest good news in the world, a matter of life and death, that it shall become known to men. What is really important in this world right now? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Oh, the churches are asking it, and oh, what answers and what confusion we're getting from the pulpit today. What is the all-important thing? There is nothing more important than this good news, that when a man will turn to Jesus Christ, that that person has this guarantee from him, the liberation of his soul and body from eternal death and damnation separated from the mercy and the love of God forever. There is no greater good news because that pertains to your and my eternal destiny. Rather strange, the church, though, is equivocating and the church is saying, but some of the temporary things, they're much more important and there's being a substitution made. It's rather tragic, isn't it? 
we say to ourselves, this ought to be the day for foreign missions if there's ever been a day. This ought to be the day that you and I go out and we bear witness. Here it is, the Christ has said, if you believe in me, I guarantee you I will liberate you from the eternal punishment of your sin. This is eternity. And yet the church stands sometimes and it sees the river in poison and is throwing perfume in the poison instead of going to the source and saying, what's wrong with man? We look into our world and we say, oh, who can see the problems and all oh, the anxieties? We say, what's wrong? Why is one man running to dope and another goes, he goes to LSD and another one goes to drink, another one goes to immorality and another one goes to war and we have labor problems and we have problems again with regard to race and we can summarize it in one word, restlessness, isn't it? Man seeking something and he can't find it. There are those who say, overthrow this government, get rid of it. And then we say, what are you going to put up for a substitute? Well, anything would be better. Would it? What's wrong? We're seeking something. And isn't it strange that if the church will continue to do its job, that if the church will say, but here is a Christ, who again promises an eternal deliverance from hell, there is the panacea for all of these other symptoms, tragic as they may be, because when a man puts his faith in Jesus Christ and knows that he has found rest in him, that he knows that when death comes that there is no eternal punishment awaiting him in Christ, then there grows with him a love for Christ and a love for his fellow man. And that's a love that only Christ can put into a man's heart. We call it Christian love. You know what Christian love really means? It's the answer for everything that is wrong in this world and in our nation. Christian love means this, that I love every man to the point that that love makes me want him to be freed from hell even as I am free and to spend eternity in heaven with me. And that love means something else. It means that when I so love every man that way that I'm going to treat him accordingly. And I challenge you and I challenge everybody in this great nation of ours today. You give me a man that has Christian love toward another man, that he says, I desire to have that man in heaven with me to be freed from hell, and I'm going to treat him such. I don't know of any problem facing this nation that can't be solved with that kind of Christian love. And to the testimony of this congregation, when we went across the street and invested in a parking lot for $150,000, which we don't have, we were telling the world that we believe that there is one message that is paramount and that is supreme. And that is that in Christ Jesus, there is for all men who believe in him a deliverance from eternal hell and that we believe that's important. And don't you worry, the world's going to stop and going to watch and see whether we're going to pay for it. If we pay for it, the world's going to say they practice what they preach and I'm sure we're going to pay for it because, again, that's what we believe. We believe this is the ascension message. This is the panacea. And the joy then that when you and I say, this is what I'm going to bear witness of, that we're doing something. Don't sit around and think that you and I are not doing something for the good of our nation when we're telling somebody about Jesus Christ. There isn't anything greater we could do. It's the remedy. It's the panacea for everything that ails. We look at Jesus speaking in the temple in Jerusalem that day when he spoke to the believers and he said, continue my word, won't you please? Hold fast to me, please do. And if you will, if you will do so, I guarantee you, I promise you that I will indeed beyond the shadow of a doubt, I will absolutely and positively liberate you from the eternal bondage of sin that there will be no punishment awaiting you. And you and I may say, that's a marvelous promise, but he, can he come through? Can he pay up? Isn't he going to welch on that kind of a promise? Is he big enough? And Jesus says, oh, yes, I'm big enough. Don't you ever worry about that. Because he also assures you and me in the eternal word that when he bore the eternal punishment of our sins, he merited a righteousness by that sacrifice 
which again is able to liberate all of us that believe in him and to bestow eternal life, to bestow heaven on us. We may be plagued and dogged by this idea. We may say, well, how can he free me from the punishment of my sin when I have no goodness, no perfect righteousness to offer him whereby he would liberate me from the eternal torment of my sins? That's a good question. But Jesus says, wait a minute, I didn't ask you for any perfect righteousness. I know you don't have a 100% righteousness to give me. And therefore, I who am the Son himself, God, when I bore your guilt and punishment on the cross, I merited that perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness I merited for the entire human race. And that righteousness is able to exclude and exempt everyone from hell. And it is again the righteousness whereby I can admit you to heaven. He didn't ask you and me for a perfect righteousness for salvation because he knew it was utterly impossible. And we say, well, did he merit all the righteousness that I need that when I come to him in faith that he gives me that righteousness and he declares me at death free from hell and he simply beckons me into heaven? You and I can say he can guarantee that and he will come through because God raised him from the dead. Don't forget the very acceptance of God of the sacrifice of Jesus was raising him from the dead whereby God says to the world this is my guarantee that when you hold on to my son and he liberates you from eternal torment and grants you eternal life that is exactly what's going to happen he's big enough and he assures us that as the living Christ he's coming back and he's going to liberate you and me in person before the entire world. What a day that's going to be when he comes back. He's the returning Christ. And when there shall be gathered before him all nations, then he, he himself in person, if you and I have held on to him, shall grant you and me the liberation of our soul and body from eternal damnation, the eternal torment, the eternal separation of soul and body from him. He says, I guarantee it, I'm coming through because... I'm coming back and I'm going to declare it and I'm going to bestow it personally because we all will see him. That ought to mean this then in that great promise. We ought to say to ourselves, God, I, I want to remain faithful to Christ. I'm going to hold on to him regardless of what happens. And then that ought to mean the decision in life that we're going to repent every day of our sins and we're going to find comfort in the guarantee of the Lord's Supper. It ought to mean this in your life and mine this morning that we're going to repent of our sins lest we lose him. We talk about sins. We may say, what do we mean by our sins? Let's put it this way. By your sin and mine, we mean anything that you and I are still clinging to. Well, that separates us from God. What is there in your life and mine that we are still clinging to that we know is wrong? That separates us from God. Real repentance means that we come to God and we say, I've been clinging to this and I know it separates me from you because I know it's wrong. Repentance means to lay it at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness and ask that again that this be the end of it forever. And then the guarantee of the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, I guarantee you, the greatest guarantee that he's ever given us on earth is the Lord's Supper. It's a visible guarantee. He says, come to my sacrament he gives us bread and wine. You and I can see that and we swallow it and we chew it. And he says, when you receive that bread and wine, I give you my body and my blood. 
this body and blood that enabled me to do everything to liberate you from an eternal death in hell. Therefore, when you and I come to communion, you talk about a guarantee. When we see the bread and wine, we say to ourselves, now I know that I have received his body and blood. Those are two tremendous erasers. One's a dry one and one's a wet one, his body and his blood. Just as certain as you and I receive bread and wine, we can say I have received his body and blood, his great sacrifice that made him big enough to be my Savior. And those two erasers, when we receive them, believe you me, when they get to your soul and mind, they erase from your soul and mind every dirty, stinking thing that we've ever done. Even the imprint of any sin, it's gone. He says, I remember your sins no more. You and I can stand here this morning in communion and we can say there is a visible guarantee because I have laid at his feet those sins that I cling to that I know are wrong. And therefore I know just as certain as I saw bread and wine that I am forgiven that there is no eternal death in hell awaiting me. And then believe you and me, there we have this joy of knowing we are his disciples indeed and that we can look forward to his coming, which seems to be very early. I don't know about you, but I read and I'm intensely interested in what's going on in the Middle East. You may say Vietnam, oh, it's tragic, but there's something about the Middle East, and you and I know we say, what's, what's happening over there? Of all the nations, again, under heaven, that it should be Israel. It should be the chosen people of God. Of all different places, here it is. And there, again, you have the hills of Megiddo again. And I'm watching it, and you notice how, again, it, you just simply can't get the sides to agree. And when in Revelation, Jesus talks about the kings of the world gathering at Armageddon. And there is Armageddon. We say to ourselves, I see God's hand in history to you. The kings of the world are gathering in the Middle East. And if war comes, and it certainly looks like it will, it will be a nuclear war. Talk about an Armageddon. Jesus says, then I'm coming again. He is coming again. I don't look for things to get any better. I look for things because it seems to me in the great mystery of godliness, he's coming back soon. Therefore, nothing else ought to matter in your life and mine. Then this that we say, I'm going to continue in your word. I'm going to hold on to you. This brings peace because you see one day in the temple in Jerusalem, he said, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm going to hold on to that. The Son, God, he's coming through. Nothing else matters. I believe he's coming very soon. I believe that Armageddon is close at hand. But oh, you and I can walk the glory road when we hold on to him without being afraid. We say you're coming through because you're God. We can sing as Christians with joy. Oh God, how great thou art. How great thou art. How great thou art. He's coming again. He guarantees it. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.